Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. Today we have a special show for you. We've been collecting conversations with authors all across the genre space, as well as authors that are traditionally published, as well as superstars in the indie publishing space. We don't always get the opportunity to record a full hour-long interview with everyone, even if we really enjoy the types of shows where we get to really dig into an author's journey as well as dig deeply into a certain aspect of craft. That's where this show comes in. Over the last couple of months, I've had the opportunity to chat with some fantastic authors, and today I'm bringing you selected clips from each of them. If this is the StoryCraft Cafe, then think of this as a sampler platter. Today we'll hear from Meg Gardner, David Pepper, Faye Kellerman, William Kent Kruger, John Galligan, and the always entertaining Karen Slaughter. Be sure to join us next week as we resume our normal format. As always, thanks for listening. Our first guest today is Faye Kellerman. You know, when it comes that time of year where it's it's time to start working on a new novel, um, you know, you have a very well established world uh, if we can use that term and you know that's inhabited by a a cast of characters you know of course we've got decker and lazarus but we've got this this uh this cast of characters that surround them and and like you said sometimes you bring this one in sometimes you bring that one um but when you start thinking of like plot for what the new book is what do you start thinking in the beginning okay what what sort of trouble am i going to get them into what sort of crime is there going to be or is there a a particular character journey that i want to go on uh, with this book and what sort of plot devices can i use to move these characters along how, how do you start thinking about a new book um good question i always start start with kind of what do I want to say in this book um, before I even start with the characters and think because well, if you don't have anything to say it why bother right it's, it's not just uh, how do I um, get them into a plot it's what do I want to say in the book in this particular book the hunt that's coming out I, I wanted to contrast Functional relationships versus dysfunctional relationships. That's how I started. How do I get there? Well, then I start thinking of the characters. Okay, Peter and Rena have a really functional marriage. I brought back Chris and Terry because their relationship is and always was dysfunctional. Let me explore that a little bit. How can I integrate the two things? Well, you know, uh, Decker and Rena's foster son, Gabe, uh, Whitman, it's his biological parent. So, okay, we have an in there. How do I, and then the hunt is um, obviously the title. It, it's the hunt for Terry's 
kidnap son, as well as the hunt for this body that Decker and McAdams found in the in the uh, woods. Who is this person, and how did he get there, uh, or she get there? How did this this body get there? And um, you take it from there. Okay, so you start with your theme. You have kind of the idea of who the characters are, and then you you start kind of the chapter by chapter plot. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Or kind of a scene by scene thing. Sometimes it's in my head. I don't even have to write it down. I have the first like 15 um, scenes in my head. Sometimes I, the plot is so complicated, um, I have to write a chapter by chapter outline. That being said, your outline always changes. You, you're, it never matches uh, how the actual book is. And there's a lot of reconciliation that's done in the way by the middle of the book. And you start with a, 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 um, a thread of an idea and it doesn't go anywhere. So you have to excise that idea. It, it, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of uh, surgery work. It's a lot of cutting and pasting and, and doing that kind of stuff. But eventually you get a smooth um, transition from chapter one to chapter 40. I'm glad you brought up the the idea that you're beginning with of, of relationships and you've got uh, Rena and Peter, their relationship contrasted with the other couples um, on top of this uh, really gripping crime story. And and thinking back, a lot of your books are um, are exercises in contrast or, or um, that comparing contrast a lot. Is is that something that that just really gets your creative juices flowing i i think so i think characters get my creative juices flowing who are these characters who are involved and why are they involved and uh, let's dig a little deeper and see who they are what makes them tick that's what i'm saying so it, it my plots tend to be on a very very individual person by person uh, level. So if there is a, um, I won't say a bad guy because nobody's ever 100% bad and 100% good. There's always contrast in there. Um, if there is a person who is criminal and is doing something criminal, what is making he or she do that? Why are they doing that? What in their background brought him, them to this state where they have to feel the only way out is something criminal so that's that's really what i like to do uh, but i do start with the theme basic themes to jealousy uh, greed uh, love you know the basic human emotions that way i feel even if the character is is bad or good um, my readers can relate to whatever character i have thank you faye now over to meg gardner um, Heat 2, uh, what an iconic property um, that uh, yeah, I remember my wife and I got married in 1994, and we went to see Heat in the theater the next year, and it, it's one of those stories that just sticks in your mind for, um, you know, over 25 years now. How did... First off, how did Heat 2 come about, and how did you get uh, connected with Michael Mann to 
to take these these characters and this concept to and take it to new uh, places forward and backward. <laughs> Number one, I've always been a fan yeah. of Michael Mann for for decades. Number two, I'm a, was a, a huge admirer of Heat, which I think is one of the best crime movies, if not the best, and certainly the best heist movie uh, ever made. And Michael had for years thought about expanding the world uh, of heat. the The movie is, you know, very intensive. I mean, I know I know that there is there are people who are coming to it for the first time if yeah. they have not seen it twenty five, thirty, forty times, like <laughs> like I have. And uh, it's about <laughs> it's about a Highline crew of bank robbers led by Neil McCauley, played by Robert De Niro in the film, and the uh, the relentless uh, detective, LAPD homicide detective, who is hunting them, played by Al Pacino, and it's about uh, the high stakes heists they take and the uh, the relentlessness of the investigation and about how these guys are. Uh, flip sides of the same coin in a way they meet and they develop uh, a wary respect and rapport. And then, and of course their worlds collide uh, in a deadly showdown when there's a bank robbery that erupts into a war on the streets of Los Angeles. So it is iconic. It is dramatic. It is um, moving and exciting. And it takes place over just a few weeks. So this, as Michael says, it's a, it, it represents a splinter of time in these people's lives. A very intense and uh, climactic period in a way, but he knew who they were. He had written biographies for all the major characters uh, before before the movie. He knew where they'd come from, um, and he knew where he wanted to see that where the survivors of the movie might go afterward. That they had a whole lot more life and a lot of stories uh, that could be told for people who uh, who really love the film and <laughs> he loves the film. Of course, they are his characters; they are dear to his heart. The, he was very passionate about uh, exploring their their world some more, and um, he wanted to do it as a novel. And he's a filmmaker. He's a he's a wonderful writer. He's extraordinarily accomplished. Um, and all his work was for film and television. So he um, he wanted to collaborate with someone who had experience telling stories in the form of a novel and, you know, writing 100,000 words or 400 pages and uh, doing it that way. So our, we have the same literary agent who introduced us um, after Michael read Unsub and wanted to talk. So we did and uh, agreed to work together. What's interesting is that uh, well, first off, I, I want to touch on um, you. You described uh, Heat as a heist novel and, or as a heist movie, and and it absolutely is. Um, is there a do heists and thrillers uh, occupy the same space, or if if there's a Venn diagram of heist and thrillers, like how much overlap is there in those two genres or subgenres, however you want to look at it? <laughs> They overlap, or heist a heist uh, story would be a, a, a subset of, of thrillers. Um, 
I don't know that Michael would call Heat a heist movie. He doesn't. I don't know that he even would call it a, a crime movie. I think he calls it a drama, that it's uh, about these people and their work and uh, what drives them through life and their families and their loves and their children and um, and their everything that they've they've lived for and lost or, or will lose. Um, a heist, uh, heist story is a particular kind of of thriller involving uh, high stakes. Uh, th- uh, theft of some kind, uh, burglary, robbery, uh, uh, safe cracking to get the to get the ground the crown jewels out of the vault. Uh, but it but it involves a theft of some of some sort. So in heat in heat that's what Macaulay's crew specializes in. They have, the movie opens with them um, taking down uh, an armored van to to steal bearer bonds. Uh, they at one point they're trying to uh, break into a precious metals depository, and then of course uh, the biggest uh, moment is uh, is when they when they rob a bank in downtown Los Angeles. So uh, heist comes under the the banner of of thrillers, but it better there better be something that uh, somebody's uh, trying to get their fingers on. What an amazing author! Thank you, Meg. Now let's hear from David Pepper. In your your previous books, the the sharp books, you uh, wrote those first person, and we're very close, obviously because of first person to uh, to what he's thinking and how he's going through this uh, this mystery of sorts. With a simple choice, we're in third person, and the camera uh, kind of pulls back, uh, for lack of a better term, and and we have two main protagonists um like you said we've got palmer knight and we've got amity jones and and we've kind of uh you know go back and forth what was this a uh, how did you feel as an author in taking this approach to uh to character viewpoint and and what did it afford you um you know in the writing that maybe new tools in your toolkit that writing the other way didn't give you yeah, I mean, I think that with Amity, you know, she's not first person, but she my hope is the reader. It it almost feels like first person. It, right. She's the main driver of the story. And I've got, you know, the and you I'm sure you thought about this, but I've got the camera on her shoulder. So it may not right. be right in her head in the first person, but it is real close. So my hope is someone would say, I know Amity as well as I ever knew Jack Sharp. Yeah. The other characters you get to know some, but but it takes you a while to get to know them. But I have a I have a lot of third person characters. You know, the risk of having a lot of third person characters that you tell the story through is you you can get too many. And my hope is I got it just right where you get to know them and they're interesting enough that you want to know them. And and I do that. But this book, I would say more than my other books, because I've I hopefully it's because I've learned how to do it better. This this book has more interesting characters beyond one or two of them. And so I felt the need on a couple of the senators who are a big part of the plot. I wanted you to see how they were viewing things. So I do go to some other third person characters. Um, So Amity is the central character. She's the Jack Sharp from prior books. But then I do spend more time on some other characters. I, I think, you know, and my, my general feedback is that that people are keeping up with each one because they're distinctive I think they are authentic, but I did try and get you more. And and my hope is by going between the different characters, at least for me as a reader, I think this, 
the the action is always moving forward because you're not just getting one character's you know weeks at a time with them. You're going back and forth and seeing a, a, a quite a complex plot through many eyes. And as long as I've done a good job of keeping track of who's saying what, I think it actually makes the story move more swiftly. Someone told me the other day on a call like this, they finished the book in two and a half hours. Now, <laughs> as a writer, I that's a huge compliment because it right. meant they couldn't stop. And you want, when you write a book like this, you want a literal page turner. You do not want people all of a sudden getting bored or getting lost or getting confused. I had a woman last night at a book event say, I've already finished. And I thought, well, that's great because it just came out. And so my hope is by with multiple viewpoints in crisp chapters, you keep people moving through a plot that if you wrote a different way, might get a little too heavy for folks and they may stop. The book um, sort of opens with an inciting incident, and we've got a, a senator who um, apparently commits suicide in in Maine. Yeah. And uh, how did you come up with that concept, the the way to, you know, as soon as I get into the book, I'm I'm I, I'm I'm hooked. You know, I, I've got to know what's going on here. And yeah. and, you know, with an incident that is seemingly not connected to the, the story that you're trying to tell, like, how do you come up with that way to hook readers in and to to draw them into the story and keep them turning pages? Well, you know, I what I like is it's not just someone committing suicide, which is obviously a dark way to start a story. Yeah. But before he does, you get to know him enough that he's to me. And this is so somewhat of the part of the point of the book in a world right now that we actually live in, where there are very few admirable political figures. When you read, I hope about this person, you're thinking, man, I wish we had people like that in politics right now. He's he's a statesman. He's he's led a life where he's he just my hope is exudes character and he's lived a full life. He's still in his 80s. And so I hope that the that the that the catch is when he jumps off this cliff and we've given away a little bit of the book, but I'm OK with that. You're really sad. You're like, wait a second. That's not who we want to go. This right. is someone that we're craving to have in politics, sort of the last person you'd think would do this. So what the heck happened that we're losing someone that we would admire and we want to have leading our country? So my hope is there's this there's this contrast between this very admirable public servant and the fact that what something caused him to think he had to end his life. And, and that begins the story in a way that that hopefully, you know, you're you're literally spending the book as a um, as a reader trying to figure out why did he do that? And then you're trying to figure out because chapter two starts in Mansfield, Ohio. How does all this connect up? And in the end, it all of it does, because it's a much broader, a broader plot than, than you might f first think. Thank you, David. Now on to one of my all time favorite authors, William Kent Kruger. Well, the, the Cork O'Connor novels are, uh, are are kind of known for uh for representing a sense of place as much as they do um cork himself um how do you feel about the 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 world building the setting that you have created for for cork and company when i used to teach writing hank um i always taught sense of place before I taught anything else because so much rises so much in a story 
rises out of place. Right. Um, you know, if you talk to uh, a biologist about uh, the nature of an organism, the biologist is going to tell you to look at the environment in which that organism grew. Or you ask a sociologist to explain why people do the things they do, and the sociologist is going to say, look at the environment in which that those individuals or that individual was raised. Um, so for me, setting uh, character comes out of setting, plot comes out of setting, motivation comes out of setting, atmosphere comes out of setting. So much comes out of the place in which you decide you're going to locate your story. So I always start off with uh, trying to figure out how I'm going to create a profound sense of place, uh, particularly in the Cork O'Connor series. I know I have to offer readers um, some of the elements that they have come to expect in the novel, but I always try to think, okay, what what else can I give them? And, uh, and so I'm always looking for what, what's unique about the North Country of Minnesota to offer readers. Um, I strive to, to be a very sensual writer, so I try to bring in all of the senses as much as I can in the creation of place. Cork is, is uh, a really fascinating character because, uh, as you kind of alluded to earlier, he's a character of mixed heritage. And that kind of pops up as a as a theme as um uh, as a um as as something that very much plays into the story in in a number of books but none more than fox creek um what is the the central tension in fox creek oh it's a search for it's a it, it is in large measure a search for who we are um several of the characters in the story are trying to figure that out yeah when you particularly when you're a person of mixed heritage um you feel it's easy as as my friends in the ojibwe community have explained to me it's easy to feel outside all uh of the communities that you might otherwise be a part of um sometimes if you if you're of mixed heritage you know that you're not quite native enough for the natives and you're not quite white enough for the whites and it's an un, it can be an, an uncomfortable place to be and so much of Fox Creek is trying to figure out um, identity, what it means to be to have native heritage, um, and uh, and Cork, you know, throughout the the series has struggled with this. But now I brought in other characters who are wondering the same thing. The um the characters that show up in this book, um the the character of Henry is fascinating to me. Where where did the idea for him come from? <laughs> I wish I could tell you. You know, every storyteller, you know, every storyteller, Hank, understands that there's a bit of magic involved in the stories that we create. Yes. And so often, um, blessings just drop into our laps out of nowhere. And where those where those blessings come from, God only knows. But Henry Malou was some was a character who just kind of dropped into my lap. I still remember writing the initial scene in which Henry made his first appearance in the series. He just walks out of a snowstorm. I didn't really have any sense of who this character was going to be until I got him into the uh, into the Bronco with Cork, and uh, and Henry begins to reveal himself as his true nature to cork and and to readers and um he has morphed over time uh into what has become for many readers uh, their favorite character in the story and really he was just a blessing that came to me out of nowhere 
it it's so interesting that um that we've got the character of Henry um but then we also have this other plot with this this missing woman and and uh, a, a a band of folks that are hunting her and they they can seem like such disparate things in the beginning uh but then you weave them together and and we realize that all of these things are connected um where and, and it one thing that i loved is that there there seems to be no rhyme or reason for um, this woman being hunted, and I, I, I just think back to so many, you know, news articles that we see, or you know, stories on on TV or whatever, and these horrible things happen, and and nobody knows why, and it just seems so random. But there, so many times, there's there is meaning behind the randomness. We we just don't know how to how to piece piece it together. Um, but then comes along Cork. <laughs> well, that's the beauty. That's one of the beauties of fiction, Hank. Right. We we give meaning to what otherwise seems total chaos. So uh, so one of the, the fun things in writing a story is to give the reader a scenario uh, that is uh, compelling, threatening, and, and and not give the reader the reason why these things are happening. Um, and so I had a lot of fun playing with that until I finally give the reader the answer to to that particular mystery. But that's part of the suspense that readers, I think, enjoy in reading the kind of genre in which I write. Thank you for that insight, Kent. Up next, John Galligan. How would you describe um, the 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 first series, uh, the, the fly fishing series, compared to bad axe county um as far as uh like tone and are is one darker than the other is one more intense than the other uh it was was there a a transition between series in the way they were written absolutely yeah uh, and not necessarily intentionally but uh the the fly fishing series is is first person so there's that there's just one point of view and it's it's the dog the narrator um and and they are they're they're pretty light and humorous and and sweet, um, even though there is you know death and crime and and so forth. Uh, Bad Axe County took a took a dark turn and and just kept getting darker. I I started researching when when I when I went in that direction. I started researching rural crime. I mean, what besides the obvious bar fights and uh, car crashes and and you know spousal abuse and and petty theft you know what besides the obvious crime happens in rural communities and i came across an academic study about sex trafficking where the researchers had gone around i think it was six midwestern states and they asked rural law enforcement leaders who were all men uh, and generally older white men uh, about sex trafficking in their communities and they just collectively said duh i don't know we don't have that and then the researchers went and asked the identical questions to um, workers in emergency rooms, women's shelters, rape crisis centers, mental health facilities, uh, and so forth, uh, primarily women. And they said the opposite. It's an ep epidemic. And so that gave me my issue for Heidi Kick, the new female sheriff of a, in a male culture who is suddenly seeing something that the previous regime has sort of refused to even recognize. And so once I got down, once I got into the whole 
on the topic of sex trafficking, of course, things got rather dark, um, which ended up setting uh, somewhat of a tone for the series. <laughs> These are serious, serious books um, in a way. They're, 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 they, in, each, in each case, Heidi Kick is drawn into some kind of uh, deep and real and um, so yeah, they're more real. They're they're more they're darker. Um, and the other big difference is there is from a technical standpoint, they're written in third person, and I use multiple viewpoints. I um, Heidi Kick is my main viewpoint, but I'll have <clears throat> three other uh, or two uh, sorry two other viewpoint characters in the story. I'll have uh, generally the the idea in my head is I have one character who's an insider in the community, and one character who's an outsider and new to it, um, and those two, those two uh, secondary points of view allow me to really tell a deep story from from uh, several angles. Well, and it allows for for contrast uh, that you've got the insider's point of view versus the outsider's point of view. Right. Sometimes uh, they're seeing the same thing. Sometimes they're seeing the same thing from different perspectives, and sometimes. Right. They just completely notice different things, you know, because of their their status. Uh, it, that's that was a, a really interesting uh, 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 way to to view the uh, um, the characters for me. Getting getting that inside versus outside look is uh, uh, is very eye opening. Well, it's a it's a really nice tool as a writer because um, you need you need. You need, you know, the, the the outsider can, you know, it's, it's sometimes unnatural to describe things from the point of view of a person who's in that water every day. You know, we don't, I don't walk down my street describing my street. <laughs> I don't even see it, right? So you bring the insider right. in, suddenly you can talk about the weather and the people, and the food, and the, you know, all this kind of stuff. The outs, the uh, sorry, you bring the outsider in. The outsider gives you that kind of leverage, and then the insider. Uh, allows you to allows you backstory and history and relationships that are maybe not completely obvious on the surface and all this kind of stuff. So, so just from a purely technical point as a storyteller, uh, it's really handy. Yeah. Um. W- one thing that that uh, that I love about your writing, John, is that uh, there's some very heavy subject matter. I mean, when you're when you're talking about like in in Bad Day Breaking. For instance, there's a, a weird religious cult that has you know, kind of popped up and, uh, you know, and then you've got the 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 kind of small town uh, crime that that's going on. Then you've got how the 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 locals see the the sort of outsiders as they're viewed from the religious cult. And you've got this sort of prejudice going on. But is that uh, um is that warranted? You, you know that, that you know we we just automatically assume that prejudice is is bad, but sometimes that there's a kind of bit of discernment that that comes with that. And you know how do you how do you juggle those two things? Um, right. So you you've got all of this kind of really heavy heady subject matter going on, um, but your writing is also kind of f- full of subtle puns. In a lot of places, and and I don't mean that in a corny way. Um, there, you use them as a tool to, um, and and I talk about this a lot in in thrillers that that a lot of times we we need to let the reader off the hook for a moment. Uh, mm-hmm. If we keep their adrenaline pegged constantly, 
then the the intense moments don't mean as much because there's no there's no um, emotional room uh, there. Uh, but h- how do you kind of uh, handle moments of levity um, to to you know give the the readers a, a range of emotion to go back and forth? Yeah, you're, you're right that that's critical. It's about balance and proportion. And proportion is an issue, you know, if, if everything's dark and, and heavy and, and fast and, and, uh, and, you know, then nothing is. Um, and so it is, it is uh, it's like ice skating. It's a push and a glide and a push and a glide. And the glide, in my case, because of the dark subject matter, the glide has to really refresh you. It, it has to give you a minute to breathe and a minute to think that, yeah, this is bad, but you know, not everything is, and and these that, there's a bad person, but here's here's a nice one, that was brutal. This is funny, um, so it's really critical to me, and it's and it's one of the things that I work really hard on. I hope it doesn't show. Uh, I mean, I hope it 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 really is just sort of the fabric of the thing. But and in and in you know you've seen if you've read Bad X County in particular, you've seen that I've created a character, who is who is there to provide. Uh, some pretty sharp humor. Um, Denise Halverson, who's the dispatcher for Heidi Kick, um, is a she's one of those people who remembers every joke she's ever heard, um, <laughs> which is the opposite of me. I don't remember a single joke I've ever heard. I couldn't tell you a joke right now to save my life. But she knows them all, and she uses them in an interesting way because she and Heidi are women in a men's world. She uses ugly, stupid, sexist jokes against women the way we use a vaccine against COVID. She she tells them to Heidi all the time uh, to, to sort of keep her up, keep her boosted. <laughs> to build up her immunity against That's it. That's right. Yeah. And, and so the jokes are simultaneously f- sort of funny because they actually are sort of funny. Uh, and they're sort of mean and stupid and sexist because they are sort of mean and stupid and sexist. And thirdly, uh their inoculations right so right. i keep that going through the series and it works pretty well the push and the glide of narrative something we can all take some notes from for sure thank you john now on to the iconic karen slaughter when i when i first got girl forgotten uh from your publicist i didn't realize that this was a recurring character that that Andrea that I had seen her before, uh, and you know as I got into the book I was like oh, this this is very familiar and then I then I put two and two together that that Andrea um, it, you, that we've met her before um, was is there w- w- when you write a standalone or what you think is a standalone um, what then turns that into a series how do you know that a character is a series character like there's there's more that I'd like to explore with this character. I think every good book has a question at the beginning that you answer at the end. And so when I was writing pieces of her, I felt like the question for Andrea is not just who is my mother, but who am I? Since everything I know about my mother is a lie. Right. (laughs) So she has to figure that out. And there's a real evolution for her. You know, when we first meet her, she's just kind of floating around. She calls herself amoeba-like, you know, just going from stimuli to stimuli. And her mom in that first scene is telling her, 
Laura, her mother, hey, you need to grow up. You know, you yeah. need to start your life. And of course, you know, being in a Karen Slaughter novel is always a way to um, scare the crap out of yourself and, oh, and yeah. kind of move you from inertia. I wouldn't recommend like murder as a, a way to grow up, but it was a big starting point for Andrea. And now, you know, we catch up with her a, a few years later and she's taking control of her life. And, you know, in many ways, it feels like a standalone because the, the Andrea you meet at the end of Pieces of Her is the Andrea right. that you find in uh, Girl Forgotten. And she's a U.S. Marshal. She's just like freshly minted out of Marshall School. Uh, she doesn't know a lot about what she's doing, but she, they've drilled a lot of confidence into her because you have right. to have that kind of confidence if you're a marshal. And she gets an assignment that links her to something that has to do with her father's past. And so that's the question I started thinking about for Andrea is like, OK, well, she knows who her mom is, but what if she finds out who her dad is? And, and the question for her is, I've got two parents who are pretty bad criminals you know, they're not good people. They've done really right. bad things. Only one has tried to atone for it. The other still is, would be out there criming if he could. So what does that say about me? Uh, and we all know, unfortunately, when you put on a badge, that doesn't mean that you're automatically a good guy. You have to earn that. And Andrea, through the course of the book, shows how she can earn that. It's uh, it's so interesting because Andrea as a character, one, she's not a superhero. Um, yes, she's been through the martial training and she's got a lot of this stuff that's been drilled into her. But it's also a, an interesting exploration of nature versus nurture, um, mm -hmm. because if you if you want to talk about her nature or her inherited DNA, that's not good. You know, both of her <laughs> parents are criminals, but she's also not been nurtured, uh, you know. So then how do you come out of having two strikes against you and and become a good, accomplished person just kind of by pulling yourself up from your bootstraps? And I, I kind of hate that terminology, but but, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not a fan of that bootstraps either, because most yeah. of the time when people say it, they forget someone has to make the boots right. um, or buy the boots for you so you can right. put them on. Right. But it's it's kind of appropriate with Andrea, you know, because she a lot of some people don't have this ability. Right. But a lot of people can choose the kind of person they want to be. And Andrea is one of those people and she can choose to be a good person or she can choose to be a bad person because she has the tools to do one or the other. Right. right. Uh, or, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people who are bad still think of themselves as good. So I, I wanted to have her going through the process of choice, uh, because I think that's a really important thing that a lot of well, I can only speak to women. I don't know what it's like to be a young man, but a lot of women in their 20s, they're just struggling and floated, flailing around. And then they're in their 30s. They're like, oh, crap, I got to figure out how to be an adult. <laughs> well, that's when you figure out the kind of adult you want to be. Do you want to be right. the same idiot you were in your 20s? Or do you want to like take control of things and try to be the person that you'd like to be? When when you started thinking about this book, did you did you know this was going to be an Andrea book in the beginning or did you have a scenario in mind? And, and wonder, is this a book for Will? Is this a book, uh, you know, for, for another series? Or, oh, the Andrea's over here. Maybe I could drop her into, into this. 
Well, it kind of knew immediately. I do a lot of thinking about the story. So by the time I sit down and write a chapter, I've molded over in my brain a thousand times. And the Andrea books are the only ones, except for a short story I did with Lee Child, that st- take place primarily out of Georgia. And so I knew when I said when it was set in uh, Maryland that it was going to be a different kind of book. Um, and I start with a young girl named Emily Vaughn, who's in 1982. And, you know, we all talk about people being canceled on the Internet. But right. anyone who's been to high school knows canceling has been going on forever. Oh, and yeah. Emily is a girl who has been canceled in high school through no fault of her own. Uh, and I, I wanted to really show what that's like, particularly at that age, to, you know, kind of have been coddled her entire life by her parents and by this friend group, this clique that she's a part of. And then suddenly she's on the outside. And in many ways, it gives her a tremendous sense of freedom once she figures it out, you know, and she thinks, wow. I don't have to do what other people tell me to do. I don't have to be the kind of person I thought I was supposed to be. I can be my true self. Unfortunately, she's in the first chapter of one of my books, so you know things don't end out great for her. But uh, (laughs) she does have that moment of hope before things go downhill. Is is that a hallmark? Anyone we meet in the first chapter, not going to be good? Well, it depends on who the person is, but yeah, usually something bad is really, really terrible is going to happen. Told like only Karen Slaughter can tell it. I hope you've enjoyed this special episode of the Storycraft Cafe. We'll be back next week with our regular format. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the Storycraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The Storycraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allows beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.